Welcome back to Gotchwatch. I'm your host, Lan, and with me I've got a man who is now one quarter into Gotchard. Salt, how are you doing? I'm okay. One, one, one quarter into Gotchard, fully locked in for this recording. Three more to go, man. Three more to go. So last time we saw things start to improve with the show, but we still noticed that there were quite a few things that were lacking with the production of Common Rider Gotchard. Uh, this time, as we head towards the end of the first quarter of this show, we've got two two-part episodes, uh, which makes things easier for us because we're just going to bundle them up into the two pieces. Man, Salt, you're at that monumental time in a Common Rider season when things really go off the deep end, where stakes change, you know, uh, how are you feeling about what you've seen? Uh, confused, mostly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, conf- confused. So you want to get right into it, then? Yeah, yeah, I, I'll, my, my questions will be easier to answer along the way. Alright, cool. So the first two-part episode is episode 9 and episode 10. It's written by Keiichi Hasegawa. It's directed by Ryuta Tasaki, uh, who directed the first two episodes of this show. Um, summarizing it, uh, the gang heads to Kyoto, and Kajiki gets into a May-December situationship, we'll say. <laughs> so why don't we start yeah. off with you? Yeah, I mean, conceptually, the gang goes to a movie studio theme park is, is quite fun. And there are some parts where the, the show delivers on that premise. I think the 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 bit where you really see that idea sing is when the ninja mannequins come to life. Yes. Yeah. That's that's such a cool idea and it's it's shot very well because like first you see they're clearly mannequins, then you see the alchemy happen and then you can't really see their faces when they're alive. So it it feels seamless in a way. Yeah, the suit acted very well. Like the uh the yeah. actors are very frenetic, very 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 mobile. Yeah, but that's that's not our elephant in the room. Land mentioned a May December and just what was going on there? Why why was that going on? I I'm not sure why. So the the whole deal is that Kajiki meets someone that is subscribed to the same magazine that uh that he loves carrying around, Chojo Wakase. Um and so they find that they both wrote into this magazine at the same time one year. Um, and it was when Kajiki was in fourth grade, and when she, Hijiri, was in the first year of middle school, which would have been grade six or seven. I gotta check that. But uh, essentially, a two to three year age gap, which is fine um, when you are, like, much older, I guess. But here, Kajiki's, like, a sophomore or junior in high school, so she is definitely out of high school. Yeah, that's the crux of the issue. Yeah. I mean, they don't mention it at all in the episode, and I don't think we're... I mean, to be fair, I feel like it's not even the most... It's not even the weirdest, I guess, relationship thing in the episode, because there's a part where, for like a significant portion of these two episodes, Kajiki thinks that her brother is her boyfriend. Yes. So... Uh, yeah, Baffling. I mean, just from a writing perspective there's no reason that character could not have been like a student from another school yeah yeah it's not like their school's the only school that goes to kyoto yeah and and if they're if they got to do this like may december thing at least have a character speak up and be like hey dude maybe like date someone closer to your own age like very weird or you know when things go wrong be like oh it's fine you know you can find someone that's your age now right (laughs) Yeah, it's not the first time the show has towed the line, we'll say, with problematic oh, right. age gaps. But uh, yeah, it's weird that it keeps coming up. Huh. <laughs> the age thing, man. Yeah. Other weird things that come up are UFOs. Like, it just, it, it's a oh. thing that would fit in, like, another series, but it feels so out of place here. Well, I think the the weird thing is the UFO thing is very in line with Kajiki, because the whole thing is, like, he's obsessed with the occult, right? Sure. So, like, if you... So, this episode features the debut of UFOX, our first level 10 Kemi. Um, But it's barely there. It shows up, like, once at the beginning of episode 9, and then at the end of episode 10, where it gets captured by uh, Clotho. Um, But my 
point the point I want to make is that I think this episode could have benefited from having UFO X in a more prominent position cuz like the whole reason why UFO X is here is just to set up the next two episodes, right? So mm-hmm. having it show up here but not intersect significantly with Kajiki's plot feels like a very missed opportunity. Cause that's his whole thing, right? Like Kajiki's like trying to prove that the occult exists, you know, like prove that UFOs exist. And, you know, that's supposed to be this sort of bonding thing between him and Hijiri. Right. So it's weird that UFO X doesn't play a bigger role in that. Yeah. And, and as a result, it just feels like they're kind of like lazily sprinkling it in just so that, it doesn't feel as much of uh, like a cop out with the next two episodes. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about suits and character work? Suits like character and suit character work, work. So we have two amalgams this this time. We've got the jungle amalgam, which kind of looks like a very evil hamburger helper. Uh, and then we have the battery amalgam, which, um, honestly, one of the better amalgam designs, uh, but I think it's funny that, uh, the way that the, the second set of arms are positioned makes it look like it's doing the, uh, Shie pose from Osomatsukun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, it, it is definitely funny. Um, yeah, uh, amalgam designs are whatever as per usual, but the suit designs here are, uh, all across the board, we'll say. Yeah. I'll start with the nice things I have to say. I liked the Valvarad upgrade. What about you? Yeah, I liked... Because it feels like a very logical thing to do. You know, like, he has an upgrade for his right arm. He has an upgrade for his left arm. What's the next logical step? <laughs> Using both right. upgrades at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, And I think it it's done in a way where it works. It doesn't feel too clunky. And it's choreographed in a way where uh, it works with the fight. Uh, also, just... All the choreo for Valveride here is fantastic. Like, he gets some of the best choreo in the entire show. For sure. What I was not so hot on was the form Hotaro took when he turned into the big CG fake Sentai robot. Oh, yes. Bat King Robo. Uh, man. It's <laughs> not an Super yeah. Sentai. That's yeah. that's what I wrote it's down. Not, it is. It's not an inherently bad concept visually, but they went so cheap on the CG. Yeah, and uh, people later found out that the model that they used is just a reused model from Kamen Rider Saber. Like they oh, just no. very very loosely modified it for uh, for this episode. And I think, well, they mentioned in the production notes that uh, Gold Mechaniker, which is the one that we see in episode 10 uh was supposed to debut in episode 9 but then some point during the production they've shifted it back which is why we have bat king robo here um so i assume that that's a very last minute thing in production and that's why we couldn't you know like fabricate a suit or you know actually put more effort into making the fight look good right yeah anything else for episode 9 i mean this isn't the first time that common writer like the series has gone to Uzumasa Egamura, which is the place the theme park they went to. And I think I managed to get over the gulf of comparing it to Forze this time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's, it's fun. They're having fun. It's uh, they're having a great time at the theme park. Uh, I'm not going to think about the Forze episode. That was literally the same thing. Yeah. I think what I most wanted out of this is if you're going to like do this, this theme park, and like make like make all these allusions to like period piece films like then just go more into that like the focus felt very split between like the amalgam and the ufo like we even get hotaro in this like really authentic samurai look he's dressed up as ryoma sakamoto the protagonist of like a dragon ishin and also a real yeah, person IRL. It's it's really cool and they don't use it. He doesn't even really get to fight in that look. It's it, Yeah, and every... even like Rene gets to like dress up in a very classic samurai outfit. Like she has like the Chonmage bald cap on too and and you barely yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very strange to like make those choices that work and then just completely shy away from them. Hmm. <laughs> Something that Gotchard is definitely not <laughs> consistent with. <laughs> 
But yeah, episode 10 is where things really start to kick into high gear. We find out that Hijiri's brother is a uh, an arsonist, and because of that, he sets Hijiri on fire, or he tries to. He sets a warehouse on fire, yeah. uh, and then and then they manage to, you know, get the amalgam off of him, and then Hijiri herself becomes amalgam. What did you think about Gold Mechaniker? I think that's the first thing that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> I said in my suit, I said in my notes, this suit stinks. I liked it. I liked it. I, it's, I have more nice things to say about this one than the next one of these clunky suits. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I like, I like the heft to the bottom half of the suit. Like it's not like it doesn't have armor in the traditional sense. It's just like they chunkified his bottom half. Right. right, they just made the the legs more tree trunky, but I I do like tank suits, like suits that are very difficult, obviously to 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 move around in. But like unlike the lightning jungle suit, this one actually feels like he's carrying around like a like a backpack of sorts, like a machine gun backpack. Yeah, I mean, if we're going on a purely aesthetic level, th- this one feels more inspired, like between right. the two. And I, I do like a tank suit, but, like, within limits. Like, if I saw this tank suit in a cartoon or a video game, it would be terrific. But, like, I think as far as you can push the tank-type suit in a tokusatsu show, like, I would use as a successful example the Ichigo power-up suit. Very tank-like, but you can still move around in it. Yeah. My main I mean, this issue feels with more these in suits... line with, like, a Super Sentai mech yeah. suit right like where it's supposed to be bulky because it's supposed to like have that gravitational heft to it yeah i i guess it's like if you're gonna do that then like make the character move slower like a sentai robot like mm. they're still trying to make him move fast and it's like no he clearly can't do that in this suit do you think it would have benefited from doing what they did with bat king robo and like have gold mechaniker like blow them up to you know that's an awesome size. idea yeah like that's so good that would have worked like because this is big it moves slow yeah i don't know why you just don't scale this up yeah and i think it would have made for a much more interesting fight than the, the fight we actually did get with it here where he is yeah. literally just standing around and absorbing lightning <laughs> <laughs> i think that was my other issue with it was like again visually it's it's cool that i even like a lot of how the suit is is on him but yeah he doesn't get to do much he just kind of stands there and takes it yeah how are you finding the humor of these episodes because i actually did quite like a lot of the humor throughout these two episodes it's it's hit or miss for me hit or miss for me was there a specific joke you were thinking of like the bit where kajiki's looking into the diner to see the news off of that couple's phone, I think was fantastic. Cause like the actor, Amon Kabe plays it very well. Um, mm-hmm. And even the rest of them that are there, like Rene, uh, Renge and Sabi play off of what Kajiki's doing very well too. Like they're like throwing up the, the don't show him sign. Uh, and mm. like the, the split between the two parties here with the window, I think really works. It's like my, it's mim- mimicry, right? Yeah. Um, so that was one that worked really well. Um, another gag that worked really well was I liked the bit in the previous episode when they were scrambling around the park looking for this woman that he was falling head over heels with, and they straight up could not describe her. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny. Also, uh, like the haunted house scene where like Rin Rin is ra- laughing like a, a maniac. While yes. Kajiki and Hotaro getting the scared out of them, that was good. Like, yeah, it's not fin- like it's not spectacular or anything, but it definitely keeps the mood light. It keeps things fun. I think this show would benefit more from things like that, where these high school kids get to act like high school kids. When when they're yeah. acting like high school kids, it's funny. When they're acting like little alchemists in training, I just can't get with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did like K- Kajiki's actor. I think is getting more to do in each episode. So like, yeah, it's, it's cool I really do hope he gets put more and more in the 
forefront as time goes on because like he is easily the best member of the supporting cast. Yeah. This this episode was like very frustrating because there were certain things that we we talked about that like worked really well, but like I I just there there were things that that didn't make sense like the the sister becoming amalgam like you referenced. It so didn't wait, work. you so you're. So uh, by the time we've recorded this, you're like what six episodes from the end of zero one? Uh, like slightly more. Like, yeah, maybe nine or ten. Okay, but you have. Ex- I'm sure there's been this kind of situation before in zero one, right? Like, where the malice moves from one. I'm misremembering, which is why I'm asking you. Like where. You know, you think that they've saved the day, but then another human gear gets infected with malice or something of the sort. Has that not happened? Like yeah, it, it no, feels like it's like... a very common trope in, in Yeah, no, things like that have happened. I'm not I'm not opposed to the trope. Just the storytelling didn't seem to serve that trope in this case. Mm. It's supposed to be that she's she's resentful of him for trying to kill her, which fair. I mean, I, I would be resentful too if someone tried <laughs> to burn me in a, a warehouse. Um, right. But I, it it feels inconsistent with what the show is trying to say because there, what I get from the show is what corrupts the chemis is human malice and right. being an arsonist because society wronged you. That's arguable. Like I can see that case. Yeah, your your yeah, malice took over. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, she's experiencing grief. You know, like she could have resentment too. But I would argue that she's not. Ex- she wouldn't experience that much malice that quickly. Well, I guess the short and easy answer is because they wanted to create that tension between her and Kajiki. Because Kajiki's supposed to be the one that like brings her down from the ledge, right? So I guess they wanted yeah. to get to that and this was the easiest way for them to do that yeah yeah i mean i feel like these these tropes these events could work with just a little bit more thought put into like character motivation yeah yeah i, I the 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 only other thing that like really confused me in this episode is they talk about how they're gonna have to mind wipe them which they've done before but it appeared as if one of the fate sisters wipe of the mind no the mind wipe was just like timed so i guess i guess minato sent off like a a time bomb in each of their heads so that (laughs) you know they had their 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 cute little moment together before everything just goes yeah they had their eternal sunshine of the alchemist mind oh there we go that's that's a good one that's a good one you like that you like that that's a good one um. Yeah, I actually noted that, like, with all the mind wiping that they've been g- giving Kajiki, he has to have developed some kind of brain damage by now. They've <laughs> they've messed with that poor boy's head way too much. Some friend Hotaro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the whole thing is like he Kajiki finds out that Hotaro is gotchered in this one, and then immediately after he gets mind wiped. God, if the, if they're playing the long game and this is building up Kajiki's villain origin, like he oh, suddenly starts insane. to realize how many times he's been mind wiped. <laughs> that would be good. It had him with the mind wiping. <laughs> how much of my life did you erase? <laughs> I had bitches. I had bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's one suit that I forgot to bring up because this isn't the only, or Gold Mechaniker isn't the only suit that shows up this episode. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about Hikis Rose? Which one was that? That was the the firefighting slash Rose. Oh my one. god! Yeah, that was one of those suits where they like. I feel like they're embarrassed by it. Like you don't get a good look at it. Yeah, and it's I think it's the lowest effort suit that they've made thus far. Like the yeah. shoulders were the shoulders from uh Burning Gorilla, so you're not going to see that suit again. Uh right. the hands were from Venom Mariner, which uh we already determined last episode that we're never going to see that one again, but um <laughs> like and the thing is like with the other suits, they usually like create a badge for the the t- 
the the torso piece. But yeah. like here, they couldn't even be bothered to create a badge for the torso piece, <laughs> so they just like paint it on the. F- yeah. Well, I, I, the, so to go back to the zero one comparison you make, like there's new suits in over fifty percent of those episodes, maybe even yeah. more, right? Yeah, and like one thing I think that show does really well with suit design is it plays a lot with like suit silhouette. Mm, yeah, but yeah. and I'm not saying silhouette is everything, but it 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 does you you notice it a lot. It definitely helps show. with memorability, right? Memorability, right? And you mentioned those shoulders, like it's always like oh big shoulder pieces and then a slightly different headpiece, very reminiscent of an earlier headpiece. So when you see a new suit. I always have this feeling like, did I see this one already? Because, <laughs> I mean, you have, right? That's the exactly. thing. Is like, you, you have. You know, this yeah. is part number five of suit number 59. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say about this this episode before we go into production notes for these two episodes? I'm good. All right. Um. Yeah, so production notes. So, did you notice how many extras there were in this episode? Or these episodes? Yeah, the park looked pretty like filled out yeah it was cool like they got 200 people applying to be extras for this episode and i think it really makes the the park actually feel like a park so so good job production team uh so a weird thing i noticed with the notes is that they specify that they looked for actresses that could do a kansai dialect for the actress that played uh, hijiri Mm. and their reasoning for it was because they like they wanted to add to the allure or the occult feeling of, I of mean, that. Like, I, I mean, that's it's a cool attention to detail. I mean, it's weird, though. Like, it's not, like, fetishizing the Kansai dialect, but it's definitely, like, is it possible to do Orientalism <laughs> for a, a specific dialect? <laughs> Oriental- like, Orientalism within your Orientalism? Yeah, like... Because with Renge, she also has a Kansai dialect, and like they made a whole point out of hiring an actress that could do the Kansai dialect, and uh, like, like it's weird to me. Like I don't know, I don't know why they are specifically going for for that dialect, or like why they're making it seem so mysterious or or um, salacious even. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's weird that they noted it. I think is the the big thing here is not just that they did it that they noted that they did that they did it like they they admitted they admitted to it essentially well and in context it is funny that they put so much effort into those types of choices and then we get these these dog water uh, forms like the bat king robo yeah yeah they also talk about the alchemy of this show because you know we mentioned before in previous episodes that we don't feel that the alchemy in this show was really alchemy and they uh they address that by saying that they want to focus on the element of life so prolonging it creating it rather than the material wealth aspect which is what people commonly know alchemy for you know like turning stuff into gold um and they acknowledge that adhering to traditional alchemy would limit them creatively um, which is why we get all that stuff with the telekinesis and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that opinion, but they're the showrunner. Yeah, like which, like that it would limit them creatively. Yeah, I mean, I, the the reason I disagree is not that I have strong opinions on alchemy, but like objectively, one of the most popular anime is Full Metal Alchemist, and mm, it, it is yeah. actually alchemy in that show. Yeah. And, yeah, they note that episode 10 of a yearly rider season is a watershed moment for the season, which is the turning point of sorts uh, between a very easygoing first 10 episodes and a not-so-easygoing everything after that. So with that being said, let's move on to episode 11 and 12. That was a good, that was a good segue, huh? That was a very good segue. Good job. Thanks, man. Uh, the writer this time is Keiichi Hasegawa this time, once again. Uh, can you believe that Hiroki Uchida's only written, like, two and a half episodes of this 12-episode season so far? So far? Is he the showrunner? Uh, well, 
Ichida is one of the co-head writers of the show, and originally Uchida was supposed to be the sole head writer of the show, but Uchida's also written the least amount of episodes of the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uchida did also write the uh, Legend special, though, so... I don't know. Yeah. The the way that they're, like, shifting around writing duties is weird. The director this time, though, uh, is a name that I was not expecting. It's our action director, Hirofumi Fukuzawa, doing double duty. Okay. I mean, uh, these two episodes had one of the stronger emphases, emphases on action than previous yeah. episodes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the synopsis for these two episodes, uh, <laughs> I regret writing this. Uh-oh, Sussy Among Us Spy is in the school. Zoomer-ass reference. I'm not as... Uh, well, anyways. Uh, this I didn't is say also, you were. Okay, okay. Well, this is also our debut of our second common Rider in this entire show. Happens in episode 12. Let us talk about this spy. Yeah, I mean, this episode... We see uh, someone who's presumably from the the Alchemy Academy, like, he's a higher-ranking guy. We see him, like, observing Hotaro, and then a few scenes later, that guy and uh, another person with him explain how they believe a spy is within their school. Then, you know, tensions rise, and Hotaro and crew are like, well, how do we know you're not the spy? And uh, th- th- there's a plot twist we get to later, but I, I would say like that's the the crux of of the the tension this this episode. Yeah, we also get the higher ups of the Alchemy Academy accusing Otaro of not being a common writer. Like they they say that they don't acknowledge him as a common writer. Okay, oh, and they say and? He, he sucks at it. <laughs> yeah, he sucks at it. I'm like, okay, cool, and. What do you have to say about that? You had to mind wipe a guy five times last episode. <laughs> well, it's like, which one is it? Is he is he not a common writer or is he a bad common writer? Because those are two things, different things. Yeah, yeah. So first thing I want to note is uh, Kugimiya, the male inspector. So, uh, okay, first off, he's played by Yasukaze Motomiya, who comes... So the thing with Motomiya is that he was literally just in Like a Dragon Gaiden. So I had to separate mm. that from my mind when I was watching these episodes. Like, oh yeah, that's the guy that was like beating the shit out of Kiryu or Joryu like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, different performance. <laughs> Our second Like a Dragon reference this episode. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Um, I feel like he's so underutilized in these episodes. It's... Oh, totally. I I was so annoyed. They're like, okay, your thing is you're always cleaning your ring. I'm like, give this man more to do. Like, that's the thing with the, the Yakuza references is, like, you could easily make him a guy who who, who would fit in the Like a Dragon universe, right? Yeah, like, if, he, if he was, like, an uh, alchemist Yakuza, like a wizard Yakuza, like, that could be so sick. Yeah, and he seems like an interesting guy, too. And apparently he's going to keep showing up for a bit after uh, after this. Like, he's in the... Geats and Gotcha crossover movie for some reason. So it seems mm. like they're trying to get some mileage out of this guy, but man, he is he underutilized with these two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you said that our director is our action director this time because action definitely took like more of a front seat here. I thought it it was not only like good extended fight sequences, but they wove into the story in, in a more like cohesive way um i particularly like the mall fight there there was some more inspired choreography there than we see in some other fights uh that is until it just turned into the wild form nonsense oh my and i god like when i was taking notes i was like oh man this fight's actually really good and then boom immediately just wild form after wild form after wild form after wild form i thought i was like having some kind of mental breakdown when he turned into a a, a hovering shirt <laughs> you know what, what is... i will i will give them credit for the creativity with that like they got a guy with the sh- i should note that the shirt that they used for that form uh, they are now selling on premium bandai um, just like why is this happening <laughs> yeah it, like you go from four yeah four 
uh, CGI atrocities. And then it immediately goes to this guy who is like green screened out from the, the waist down, um, floating around in this, in this parka <laughs> or this sweater hoodie, whatever. Yeah. But it, it's like, it's so goofy. And I think like if all the forms were like that, I wouldn't be as mad about it. But like, how do you flood me with like four dog forms? <laughs> and then you give then me the one that. that's actually fun, you know? Like, yeah. Bizarre choices. Uh, speaking yeah. of bizarre choices, we also got another Poo Malgum this uh, these two episodes, which I was really happy <laughs> Oh, that's happy spiders. About. Horrible. I just don't, like, the designer has to step back a bit, you know? Like, just to, yeah. just to look at the stuff that, that they're they're creating you know you can't keep putting the thorax on the head because the way that it looks it just looks like a a, a big pile of <laughs> it looks like a big pile of uh speaking of big piles of uh, i i think a plot around a potential spy could be pretty cool but i felt like instead we were just talking about more alchemy law and alchemy rules and Oh, you you can't actually capture a level ten. It just it it makes me want to like scream. Like it's it's like oh bureaucracy. This is the thing that little kids tune into their favorite shows to watch for. Not only that, but the mystery of who the spy is is resolved so quickly too. Like there's right. no tension between any of the cast members because you know. It, like there's no there's no doubt cast on any of the supporting cast members like if you really wanted to create tension you can be like oh is sabi the spy or is renge the spy is valvarad the spy yeah that uh, doesn't is Rene happen. the spy none of that happens like there's no no sort of pretense as to who the spy could be like it's very yeah. clear from the get go that it's <laughs> going to be mr like a dragon's uh assistant right uh, the other big letdown this episode was we got another big guy suit for Gotchard. Uh, well, I don't remember. It was like Lightning Jungle. <laughs> yeah, Lightning Jungle. Very Some ugly. Some of these, yeah, very ugly. And they're like, okay, we're going to mash up two ideas. He's like, a jungle and something lightning related. And there a was like battery. No ju- it's the battery. A battery. <laughs> yeah. God. And there's just, like, no jungle elements in there, so I was like, okay, what's the point? This is just, like, the electricity stuff. You get one jungle thing. It's where he creates that forest of Tesla coils Mm, in his finisher. And that's, like, the only real amalgamation of the two concepts that that, actually works. That would be such a cool power for a video game. Like, I would love that in in something like that. But here it just looks odd. Yeah, Maybe it's the overabundance of CG. That, that probably is it. Uh, we also get the return of UFO X. Uh, so at the end of last episode, UFO X got uh, captured by Clotho, and they put him in a jar to milk him or milk his <laughs> essence to create a new driver. Uh, and Jordan and... Peterson shared a tweet of it. He said, "Can you believe this is happening in China? <laughs> we have to stop. We have to stop the dread driver." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is our, our kind of other big plot point, right? The this, this dread driver that's being assembled. Yeah. So this is... Uh, see, that's the nice thing about you having watched other Rewa, or at least one other Rewa season, is like you're at least acclimated to the idea of there being evil riders mm-hmm. now. Um, so what do you think about the build-up to this? Because we've had the dread driver built up for quite a few episodes now. Oh, it's it's fine. Like I, I I like that idea of like oh we're gonna make our own common rider, but he's evil. I, I guess like m- maybe it would have been better if it was a little more explicit what was going on because my impression was that everything the Fate Sisters were doing was to summon Glion. Was that his name? Yeah, like Gleon, right? And then the production notes last episode mentioned that they were actually just doing it to... Or no, the production notes for this episode mentioned that the reason that they were doing all the Amalgam stuff was to, you know, fuel the Dread Driver. Also, on that note, I forgot to mention with the last episode um, that they start randomly having the Amalgam shed metal when they die. Yeah. Which was supposed to be built up for this. But it's weird that they waited so long to actually note that the Amalgams would do that when they died. Like from the well, get yeah, go, we had this one or two episodes ago. 
Right. If you had the sisters pick up the pieces of metal, first off, that's actual alchemy, you know, using metal to transmute into a new thing. Um, but actually having that build up from the get go would have been so much stronger than, you know, haphazardly throwing it in in episode 10 and be like, oh, yeah, the Malgams can do that now. Ugh. Agreed. Uh, what else? What else? Yeah, it's the first time we see real alchemy being done in this show with the sisters, you know, with their beakers out and doing shit. I, I don't, I can tell you what it was, but they were doing stuff and it looked like alchemy, real alchemy. Yeah. And it's, it's actually like a pretty good set. Like that's been a complaint I've had is some of the sets look like cheap in both layout and lighting. And like that actually had some, it had tone, you know, like they yeah. they were expressing something with the, the feeling it was evoking. I think it does a much better job of showing what alchemy would have been like if you know we hadn't abandoned it so yeah the whole so many centuries ago yeah all that that all the tonal whiplash in this show makes you suspect that there's like too many cooks here because mm. it is cool to see them do alchemy like it, it it works in the context of the show but they feel determined to do everything except alchemy <laughs> and i think the final subplot we have here is with sabi who I believe you said before that you weren't really feeling his character and I couldn't figure out what his deal was. I mean, I'm I'm highly insensitive and when I realized that he has like a disability, I was like, "Oh, okay, I, I get his deal." I just thought he was an iPad kid before. <laughs> no, but the subplot this time is like establishing that Sabi has this connection to UFO X, which is yeah. cute and I it, I think it's good setup, um but it's weird that you have this connection being set up between UFO X and Sabi when you also have the UFO connection between Kajiki and, you know, the occult, right? That feels another like another case of too many cooks where mm-hmm. if maybe if you either like it's either you take that trait away from one character and keep it to just the other or you just mix the two characters into one character who has that trait. But it's weird to have, like, two guys fiending over the same uh, UFO. Totally, yeah. It, 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 again, feels unfocused. Yeah, and, like, the other thing is Sabi hasn't really gotten much in terms of focus until now. So to have it be... So to have it come in so late and to have that trait, like, that defining trait be something that we already saw with Kajiki last episode... It kind of undermines a lot of the emotional impact and the emotional connection between Sabi and UFO X and what happens next episode. Yeah. Shall we get into part two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the main action of part two is that uh, Sabi gets possessed, essentially. I mean, th- right. there's other things, but that's that's the most important part. And there are quite a lot of emotional beats that play out there. Um. He, I mean, first of all, he's like, he's, he becomes the dread writer against his will. And I, I think that's, that's a fascinating concept. Yeah. I, it hasn't really been done before, or at least not to, not in this specific way where, you know, um, actually, I mean, you like the closest comparison I can think of is arc and the arc zero driver in zero one, which you've seen by now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like the whole thing is that it's one driver that can be used by multiple people. They turn into the rider, which is either Arc Zero or Dread. Um, but in this case, it's interesting because of the forced element of it. Like he's transforming against his will. And usually mm-hmm. when people transform against their will, it's usually when they're turning into the monsters of the week. Um, right. So to see that happen with not only a supporting character, but to have that transformation ter- be turned into a rider um, is definitely interesting. It's definitely good. Oh, also, the spy from last episode just gets disintegrated by Atropos, so yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just happened. <laughs> well, that just happened. Oh, yeah, there's also, there's this whole thing about, like, forbidden alchemy, which, like, okay. <laughs> okay cool you bring that up now when it matters i guess she i did like her uh her sort of like teleporting arm power she could, oh like, yeah the the mirror of they had some name for it i think it's like the mirror of transmutation or something like that but 
It was uh, fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a cool concept, just yoinky sploinking his uh, his card like that. I mean, that. The, the, the best aspect of this episode was I actually really dug the, the Dark Rider, Common Rider Dread. Uh, his suit was sick. His moves were really cool. He just his his whole deal was great. It made sense. Yeah, he's got the like his his transformation standby sounds like an alchemist beat. Sounds like I was listening mm. to like an Earl Sweatshirt song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Dread's great. I think the really smart move that they did with Dread's debut is that they didn't give his first fight to Gotchard. I think giving the first Dread fight to Valvered was a much better decision because of how good Valverad's choreo is. So, you mm-hmm. know, like the first fight, fantastic. It's really energetic. The movement's great. The choreography's great. So good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it's weird it, it, to say good things about this. What you most want to see is you want each writer to have like a distinctive move set. Right. And Valverad is, is very much reminds me of like, viking the way he moves right yeah and then and then with with dread he it's like he's a shinobi like he's he's very um he he's almost like gloopy like he's wily like, he, like yeah, he's yeah, very yeah. wily yeah yeah and so you see moves that complement that like when he does like the split drop or he's like suddenly under someone and they like really accentuate how like fast and sharp either his kicks or his jabs are it's it's fun to see. It's like, oh, okay, this this show can cook. Like this is this is a cool villain. Bring him back. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool creative decisions here. Um like after Sabi gets taken over, um you don't really get you think that there's no way that you're going to hear his internality, but then you use the then you have the iPad Isaac mm-hmm. working as his inner voice, which I thought was a really neat dynamic, you know, like cuz the whole thing with this entire season is that Isaac is supposed to be the front-facing voice of sabi right so to have that sort of be flipped around where isaac is now representing the inner voice of sabi uh while he's you know taken over by dread i think works really well here um yeah also all the choreo like i think aside from gotchard everyone else gets good choreo here (laughs) yeah like, there's a clotho minato fight that's fantastic lachesis also gets into the fight and her choreo is great um and then gotchard man <laughs> have you noticed that gotchard has done like the same fall for like the last four episodes he, he'll he start on one side of the camera it's like almost always the right side too it's probably uh-huh. because he's twisting left right so it's gonna uh-huh. look better that way he he'll he'll dive away from the camera into the background and then he'll do like a few barrel rolls on the ground. They've done this same fall for him in every episode. Damn, I actually didn't notice that. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started to notice because the first time I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, I, I see it. All right. He's like, it's kind of a dive roll, kind of falling. It looks like he got thrown hella far. But then they just did it every episode. Mm. Interesting. Great work, Fukuzawa. Yeah. like when the choreo is good for everyone else it makes gotcha's choreo stick out more like yeah like the there's this whole form rush where he's going through all these old forms that he used like twice in previous episodes again and they're all not working against dread but it feels so hollow compared to the dread valvarad fight yeah the dread valvarad fight works for me because it's show don't tell it's that it's it's the the fighting during the storytelling you you can see that dread is quicker and can counter anything valvered tries to throw he anticipates what he's going to do this is like so laborious oh we need to put on the new suit okay now all dread needs to do is swipe the same card and he can cancel it out like that's very tell don't show yeah i don't know if it's like tell don't show but it's very not kinetic yeah. There's a lot of standing around and just like, oh, show this card, show this card, put the cards in. Yeah. Ching, you know. You're going to drain him. <laughs> yeah. This, the Kemi sacrifice thing is, is funny because initially I thought that Dread was going to take the cards from Gotchard and sacrifice them because that's what he does when he puts them in his, his uh, in that side slot, right? He's sacrificing these Kemis. Um, so I thought it... Like, it, it sucks because I don't want 
the Kemis to specifically not Gorilla Sensei. I don't want Gorilla Sensei to be <laughs> sacrificed. But at the same time, um, I think it would have been a bit more emotionally impactful for Hotaro to lose some of those Kemis. Um, right. Which I don't expect the show to do. Like, I don't expect any real Kemis to get sacrificed, which is why we get these replica Kemis that uh, that they used off of all the blank cards they show, uh, they stole. I, th- I think my biggest issue with this episode is that it reminded me a lot of why I've gotten a lot more selective with the shonen manga and anime that I engage with nowadays. Elaborate on that. Like I mentioned in my notes, uh, the TV tropes would have a field day with this episode because a lot like I don't like thinking in tropes. I don't like critiquing media on the basis of tropes, but it's hard not to notice all the various tropes in this episode. You know, like showing the face underneath to stop Godger from landing his finisher on him. The appeal to nature, you know, like when he's grabbing Dred's leg and begging him. um all like the friendship stuff and you know like the loss leading to Valverad being like I was right you're wrong kind of thing yeah um and then you know the Deus UFOX machina that we get right piano rendition of the main theme we got flashbacks with Sabi and Hotaro like it's very much the same rigmarole that I've seen from so many shonen anime in the past and I've read in so many shonen manga in the past um, and I realize that this is purely me getting older, right? And <laughs> and noticing these things and using that. Yeah, I, I don't think a, I don't think a seven year old would have the same complaints. Right, exactly, and and I acknowledge that that's the case. I think, though, I don't like. It's not that I like I. The thing is, I know that the franchise, I know that Kamen Rider still has the ability to rearrange things, to make things interesting, to keep things interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only reason I'm still watching the show. It's like, if it was the same old song and dance for five years in a row, right, there's no reason to keep watching it, right? It's right. the ability to innovate in its storytelling that keeps people watching the show, um, and it feels very safe. And I think this episode in general feels very safe, even though it tries to perform as something very unlike what we've seen before. Like the darker elements here, I think feel like a response to all the, not fans, but like the, all the people online critiquing the show for not being dark enough, I guess. Yeah. No, I thought that too. Like the, the, the tone shift is weird is what I'm saying is like, and I don't, it's not that shows like these can't have tone shifts. It's just that when you consider a lot of the critiques that we've had, especially with this show thus far, and then seeing this, not necessarily like address them directly, but you know, shift things around so that like, I don't know if like, do you feel like this, this episode was manufactured or engineered to try and turn you around on on the show? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I I mean, I'm uh, I don't have too much more to say because you're saying exactly what I was thinking. The moment where we cut to everyone getting their butts kicked and Valverad telling them, "Oh, you're not cynical enough." I was like, "Oh, okay, like you this is the response to the fans." Yeah. Oh, also, this is the only episode we've had thus far where there's no new form debut for Gotchard. Right. I mean, I, that's that's probably good. That's, that's, I don't know if that's another uh, criti- that's I don't know if that's another criticism that they've uh, decided, decided to acknowledge. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been funny though if like we get dread, which is like objectively a really sick look, and then it's like, oh, common uh, writer is now uh, he's he's a um, he's a tiger and he's a spoon mashed up. All right. <laughs> Can you, you know. imagine giving Dread Gotchard's form changes? Yeah, right. You're now a battery in a. You're now a battery in a jungle. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we get into production notes and our final thoughts? Now let's get it. Production notes. 
production notes uh they say in the production notes for episode 12 that if you got scared by the sudden shift in tone with this episode that you should just go watch the legend special to cool yourself down (laughs) you should watch it anyway and listen to our episode on it yeah there we go and there's our plug if you want to listen to our thoughts on the common rider gotcha versus common rider legend ttfc special you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash midnight grappler animals to get access to this bonus episode which we're not posting anywhere else so yeah we're we're keeping those very intimate thoughts behind lock and key (laughs) uh other production notes bandai is in part responsible for the naming of the drivers so just imagine some guy in a suit at bandai hq naming the dread driver i don't think it's a guy in a suit i think it's like a a hip guy in a (laughs) t-shirt a 60 year old guy in a t-shirt that's right high rise in tokyo uh and then finally they mentioned that this is technically a bottle episode outside of the scene at the end at the alchemy academy base the entire episode or the majority of the episode takes place in that one field uh all right so final thoughts um yeah i mean for me the big one is i feel like we're at that point where fans say hey, the show is supposed to really come together here. The show is establishing a stronger direction or a clearer identity. And I feel like this whole joint is still treading water. Mm, mm, yeah, like the the twist, I guess, is... Hmm. I mean, it's not even a bad twist. I'm just like, okay, I see the alchemy world all the time, but like, it hasn't been fleshed out much. Like, We see representatives from like the higher ranks who show up, but we never see like their offices. We haven't seen like competing alchemy schools. Like I just, I just feel like this world had, they're still not sure what this world is. And there's, there's times where I feel like vindicated on that suspicion or validated. I think there's no strong thesis either. I feel like with other common writer shows, you really start to get a feel for what, the overarching thesis of the show is around this point like it's where the the show starts shifting from just being a monster of the week thing to being this sort of bigger idea broader strokes sort of uh show and i'm not really getting that from especially these last two episodes it's not to say that it's not there i think i think it's just that you know it doesn't feel as pointed i guess because it like i mentioned before with that with episode 12 feeling like a a response to a lot of the fan critique mm-hmm. uh it feels like they're more occupied with that than you know rearranging the boat or steering the boat to be what they want it to be yeah what about your final thoughts oh um yeah i don't really have much to say about the alchemy of it i think it's more of what we've said in previous episodes uh i think it just I think they needed to go back to the drawing board, maybe choose a different kind of science or or magic. <laughs> but I think my big question is, every time we do one of these episodes, I ask myself whether or not I would be watching Gotchard of my own volition beyond the obligation of doing it for this podcast. And I think I'm slowly starting to lean towards yes, but it also has me wondering about why that is and what that says about the show. Mm. What about you? No. No? <laughs> you wouldn't just straight up wouldn't be watching the show without the podcast? No. Okay. You want to elaborate on why? Uh... I mean, or like summarize. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of my my earlier points speak for themselves. But frankly, like I want to root for Common Writer as a franchise. I want to show my friends why why it's cool, and it's that is much easier with other shows and premises and movies. Here, I feel like. I can see cool stuff, but I have to really squint to do that. Oh, okay, here, let's do a Rewa to Rewa comparison. Do you think that you would be able to do that with Zero One? Totally. And I, I like when I say totally, I'm not saying like I could do that with every friend, with every case. 
right. but there's a certain kind of person where I'm like, I think you'd be into this, you know, or like, hey, like maybe this isn't your thing, but this is pretty sick. I can mm-hmm. I can totally do that with zero one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think my final note is that the supporting cast. Uh, I'm I've come to the conclusion that they, it's one of the weakest elements of the show. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kajiki, Spanner, and Sabi feel developed, and even Sabi is kind of like a late addition to that, but it it feels very mismatched in terms of who gets focus and who doesn't. Like, I'm sure that there's a whole arc ready to happen with Rene now that she's been forced to bear witness to all her friends losing, right? Mm-hmm. But it really feels like all the women of this show are just getting shafted big time like what's renge's deal like why is she here she's the kansai girl but why you know minato is minato well yeah and like i i don't think like having a a, a lady common writer is like the mark of whether something is uh you know more egalitarian or not but like i do think it's significant that in zero one we do have like a well-developed woman character who has a writer form and it's cool i mean we have that we had that literally last season with geats where the female writer of that season is arguably one of the best written characters in that show <laughs> yeah. uh so it's not to say that it can't be done and it, it, i don't know if it's a production thing because like last season the producer was different it was naomi uh takebe and she has a lot more focus on appealing to more than just a boys market like there is a lot more girl focus um with a lot of her projects so like it's like i can't say why like i don't know why the girls aren't getting focus here like i can't ascribe any of that like i don't know what the writing process is i don't know what the production process is but like it's very noticeable that like it's very noticeable who gets favorite not favoritism but like who gets focus and who doesn't and i think mm-hmm. for rene specifically it's annoying because of that very first production note that said that like they wanted rene and hotaro to be on equal terms they wanted them to be dual protagonists but it really does not feel like they are dual protagonists by any any close distance <laughs> at all now that we recorded the the legend special too, and like you brought up how how much easier it was to believe Butler and Kaguya's whole thing there, and and it's just like, yeah, why is there not that energy with the supporting cast here? It's it's a great question. I I I wish I knew, and it, it confounds me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like there's there's been so many opportunities for them to. And it's not to say that they haven't been taking all the opportunities to like build out the relationships between them, but I think it's not being built out in a way that's substantial or feels like there is a real relationship between these high schoolers or a real friendship between these high schoolers. But yeah, like going into the next three quarters, I really hope that they start to flesh these other characters out without having to resort to just making them common writers. Cause I feel like, development through becoming a common writer or development through getting a power up is a very very cheap thing to do right yeah like, it's, the, it's the marvel method yeah 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 yes yes it's the star wars method too you know like yeah. oh how how do we develop this character give him the force <laughs> <laughs> that's character development to me and I'm scared that we're going to get that out of Valverad too, or Spanner too. Now that you know he's been consistently losing fights, and with Dread here, I, I feel like that's not going to get any better. Where Valverad is going to keep losing fights until he gets his own upgrade. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see when we we'll we'll cross that Rubicon when we get there. <laughs> yeah. So next time, Gotcha gets his first real major upgrade. What could it be? Could it possibly be the sword that got dropped into his lap? Could it possibly be related to the UFO that dropped that sword into his into his lap? Otherwise, we have more dread. The writer, the feeling, who's to say? <laughs> and the last of our 2023 episodes of Common Writer Gotchard. If you've enjoyed this episode, 
and you've listened this far and you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon, which you can support at patreon.com slash Midnight Grappler Animals. Uh, not only do you get access to that bonus episode we mentioned before, but you also get two full bonus episodes of our main show and access to episodes a week early if you're really fiending for our thoughts. Uh, but otherwise, if you can't support us financially, you can support us through morale. Uh, you can give us a good review on your podcast app of choice. Please, a good one. If you really like this, um, please let your friends know so we can reach more ears with our rhetoric. That <laughs> that sounds evil. Uh, otherwise, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can email us at midnightgrappleranimals at gmail.com. And if you want to talk to us in person and tell us why we're wrong about Gotchard, we have a Discord server, which we've linked to in the description of this episode, uh, as well as where you can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky. And otherwise, Salt, what do you got to say? I got to say, if you want to know what comes next, what takes we got, then Gotch Watch This Space. <laughs>